everybody. My name is Joseph Eisler, and I'm here with my good friend Aaron Hodges. This is the pilot episode of a concept I've been thinking about for a long time called Very Heroic Living. A lot of you who know me know that I am a Von Hippel-Lindau syndrome patient. Can you say that three times fast, please? Von Hippel-Lindau, Von Hippel-Lindau, Von Hippel-Lindau. Von Hippel? Von? Von. Hippel. Hippel. One guy, Von Hippel. Oh, it's a named after a person. Von Hippel is the one guy. Okay. Lindau is the other guy. Lindau, okay. They well. each were studying tumors in different places. And later, through publications and other studies, medical professionals and scientists realized that they had been studying the same problem in different parts of the body. And lo and behold, people have now realized that von Hippel-Lindau syndrome, VHL, affects 11 different organs in the body. So the concept of very heroic living is definitely more broad than just having VHL. Anybody who's experienced grief or illness or really any kind of trauma that people have to live through and continue their lives, they have to live this heroic existence to get over whatever it is that they've been through. And so mine has very much been this illness, this VHL experience and surgeries and other things that go along with that. The experience isn't focused on this one thing or isn't so narrow to say my experience. It's much more universal than that. And so after, I don't know, years of the wheels turning on this one, we've come to a point uh, in the VHL community where the FDA just approved this clinical drug. And I've been on the trial myself for the last just, just shy of three years. And so the FDA approved it on a pretty wide but limited basis. So there's there's quite a few people who are going to benefit from it. And it's a really nice time, I think, to start expressing some of what's been on my mind and have a bit of a balance between here are the really heavy experiences, here's the recovery, here's the trauma, here's, yeah. right, there's this like long Absolutely. road, right? Yeah. But balance it with there's hope all that time that there's been all those other heavy things. There have been people working to try to make it better for us and for other people in similar or, or you know, other situations. So I think it's just a good time where we can show something good, some progress, some some positive effort while most of us are all still dealing with, you know, whatever it is. You said three years you've been doing the clinical trial? In November, it'll be three years. So okay. we're just a couple months away from my anniversary with it, so to speak. And in about three years, we're seeing a tremendous reduction in the kidney cancer, which was the primary reason for being on the clinical trial. And the secondary reason for the clinical trial was the hope that the other VHL-related tumors would also shrink or possibly fewer of them would show up in the first place. And so on that side, I haven't had a new VHL tumor in over two years now. And that's wow. that's a first, and you've known me for as long as this has really been going on in my adulthood. This is the first time since I was 18 years old that I've been tumor-free. Wow. Yeah. And to hear that, you know, other people are going to be able to benefit the way that so far you have, it's a new lease on life, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for me, for my brother watching me go through it and fingers crossed for the approval so he can get on it. And, you know, my dad's now 65. And these days, 65 isn't that old. And so, you know, he's got enough years ahead of him even that he's hoping that he can get on this and be hopefully free of any issues. And there are 
70-ish people who were on the trials who are all experiencing some level of benefit. 99% of us are experiencing benefit. Small sample size. It, it is. But, but yeah. it's a really high percentage. Right. And so at least there's this kind of cluster of energy. Yeah. There, and there's six different centers around the country right now at you know various uh, hospitals where they've got the trial happening. And so it's spread out a little bit too. So there's whispers of this, right? It's the FDA and there's there's this national everything because it's the FDA, but there's whispers over in Pittsburgh and Philly and there's whispers over in Cleveland and there's, there's like small communities in a few different places all spreading the word right now, you know, in their in their communities. So it's it's a buzz. What is the trial? What are you actually doing? So the clinical trial starts off with this battery of exams all related to the illness, CAT scans, MRIs, blood work to check your levels. I mean, they need to know everything about how your body is functioning before you start. And then once they figure out what all your baselines are, they put you on the recommended dose. And in this case, they had already figured out that the recommended dose was going to be three pills, 120 milligrams. They're like, all right, we're going to try that. Here are the side effects we expect. Here are hopefully the benefits that you'll experience. And, you know, and so from there, you start taking your pills and you have to come back for a while. It's it's every couple of weeks because they, they want to, while your body's adjusting, they really want to see very frequently what's going on. Yeah. Lots of blood work, lots of ex- same same stuff over and over again. It's like every time, right? Feel like a lab rat. Absolutely. Yeah. But I've been feeling like a lab rat with it because this is a rare disease. They didn't know much about it when we got diagnosed. Right. It, like very few people, especially young. So we've been lab rats in, in one way, shape or form since 90 easily. So every day at, a, at the same time, I like to get up early, take my pills and then go lay back down and I get the dogs and the cats all come hang out with me in the morning and stuff. But every day I take my pills and every three months I got to go back for all my scans and blood work. And they look for what's happening with any tumors and what's going on with your levels, your organ function, and make sure that everything's okay, that you can keep taking the meds. I'm smiling because I couldn't help the imagery of Mary Poppins. Okay, time to take the pills. And then all, everybody gathers around you, all the animals. Yeah, yeah. It pretty and much. You just work it into your daily routine. I yeah. do. I got. I have a very, very yeah. quiet alarm. I try not to wake up Jennifer, uh-huh. which is really hard to do unless I like, I got to sleep, you know, down the hall in another room if I'm getting up at 5.15. So she wakes up, the animals wake up. She has now learned to just, you know, like roll over and ignore my getting up for pills then I can't go back to sleep. Like go sit on the couch downstairs, go lay in the spare bedroom for a little bit, something. And I mean, clockwork is, is clockwork. I get up, the cats follow me downstairs, come back upstairs. There's a dog following me to see where I'm going to go sit. So it's totally become part of my life to get up and take my meds. Every day, man, it is hereditary. This disease, your father has it um, and your brother. And your brother has had several brain surgeries as well? Yeah, Michael's had a pair of brain surgeries, gamma radiation, a number of eye-related procedures. Uh, When I say eye-related procedures, they're not really the same thing as a regular surgery when you're talking about laser therapies and cryotherapies, which is literally freezing tumors to stunt their growth. Much less invasive because it's your eyes. You know, they don't want to take knives to something that doesn't really heal. You've seen it from your own experience, from your brother's experience. You haven't talked too much, at least to me, about how it's affected your father. So I don't know much about that. Well, that was the start to the whole thing was dad had migraines and some other issues. And my mom and he got him in for scans. I don't remember exactly. I think it started with getting a CAT scan in general to see what was going on. 
And I'm really glad they did because lo and behold, he's got this tumor. They thought it was something else, caused all sorts of problems because nobody even recognized it. And as soon as they biopsied and figured out what it was, then it was, you know, get your boys in here because chances are they have it. And we don't really know if they've got any tumors developing yet, but typically nothing really starts till later in life. So they should be fine. I wouldn't say riddled with, but we both had multiple tumors each and it was already happening and we were both in. Oh, you, you just didn't know yet? Yeah. But they yeah. were developing. Yeah. Got so, it. you know, without getting too personal about it, without my brother here, I won't talk about his stuff necessarily. Sure. Right. But we right off the bat started dealing with, you know, some losses and some fears of, of capacities and sight. And, mm-hmm. Right. So it was very immediate that he and I started undergoing some of these procedures and getting right into it. You're a kid. I mean, how old are you at this point? So this was dad got his first surgery and biopsy and all that from 89 going into 90 in that winter, like really between December and February. So I was just turning nine years old when all this was getting started. And Michael's, you know, five years younger than me. So nine and four. Jesus. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And I, like I said before about kids not really experiencing fear the same way. It's really at that point, it's the parents and and my mom in particular, because her husband gets hit with this. He's off his feet. The kids now are all, you know, so you like all of a sudden she's a single parent. Well, and, you got to go there in your head, right? And even, yeah. and even worse in terms of your, yeah. your obligations, right. she wasn't, she was also taking care of him. Yeah. Because for my dad, it was a back-to-back brain surgeries in 1990, end of 89, beginning of 90. He was down for months. Wow. Yeah. Basically bedridden? Uh, Not quite that bad, but base, almost. Basically. Yeah. All right. So brain surgery is one of these things where it sounds as scary it's as sound, it, it like, sounds. I was right? talking about it with my wife the other day. And I was just, it has to be the scariest of all the surgeries, I think. I think it is too, because you're afraid of losing yourself. The dangers are very serious right away. You know, yeah. my first surgery, my, my surgeon said something to me like, the chances that something goes wrong are less than 5%. I'm really good at this. We've got robotic assistance. I have a great team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Here's my track record. Mm -hmm. However, in that 5%, if something goes wrong, there's an 80% chance that it's fatal. So it's like, you're probably going to be all right. But if I miss up just a little bit, you're not going to be all right. Right. And depending on what part of your brain obviously, right? Different areas of the brain control different things. Like, what is it that you're going to lose? You know, I'm going into the anesthesiologist for surgery number, whatever it was. And I'm looking at Jennifer. I'm married for four months at the time. And I'm looking at my relatively new wife and I'm saying, if I wake up and I think I'm still dating so-and-so or it's like (laughs) 2007 or whatever is wrong with me this time, I love you <laughs> so much. And I'm so sorry that you got to go through with that. That's why you know? it's so scary. Yeah, totally. Because you just don't even know. Am I going to like lose use of something or yeah. am I going to forget who I am? Or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And a lot of it is just fear. It's like anything else. The reality of it is fortunately a lot of times you come out of it and you can recover pretty well. Let's talk about that a little bit. What has the recovery been for you? I know that you've had to adjust your lifestyle a little bit as far as what you can and can't do. How is that from... I don't know, say five years ago to now, how is that different? Well, I'd say from five years ago to now is probably the biggest change 
actually five years is probably a good increment, right? If you went five years by five years by five years <laughs> like that, since I was about 20, you can see pretty clearly, right? Like after brain surgery, number one, I was 22 years old. I recovered really well. I recovered like a hardcore idiot. I was angry about the experience. I had been clean of tumors for a few years. So feeling good, feeling smooth, varsity soccer, surfing, right? We grew up together as teenagers and you never really experienced again any of this until you got a little bit older. Yeah, so we, it was like, we lost touch a little bit. So that's, there is a little bit of a, a block where I didn't know you. Well, and that's a lot you know of, I mean? that's a lot of why is because I got, you know, we're, we're all in high school together. We see each other every day, every day, every day doing all this stuff together. And then we all go off to college and that kind of happens anyway. Yeah. But my junior year of college is when I had my first brain surgery. Everything from there, it's harder to stay connected. It gets harder to have a conversation where somebody doesn't bring it up. Yeah. It just defines so much of your life. That's the landmark. Right. So there was a point in my life where being a varsity athlete was a defining thing in my life. Sure. Well, by the time I'm 29 and having my second or whatever and emergency situations and I fall over on a soccer field, I'm like, well, probably going to be done with that. Is that what happened? That's actually, oh yeah, I actually, so uh, I'm playing, you know me, playing defense, doing my thing in the back. Hell of a defender. And uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, ball goes out of bounds and we're playing indoor. I take off to the far corner for a long ball. And as I'm running, and I look back over my shoulder to track the ball. As soon as I look over and tighten up or push on something that was there, I don't exactly know how it something happened, in your neck. but it was definitely the movement, right? I look uh, over my shoulder and I'm running yeah. and the room immediately starts spinning. And so I just go over with it. We'll lose control of my body, hit the ground. I'm laying on the ground. Other keeper comes running over. Are you okay? Because I mean, he's, he saw me just like full tilt and then just spaghetti, right? Plop on the ground. He helps me up. I'm walking and I start walking sideways I Weird. and I can't walk straight. I'm walking and I'm not turning left. I'm like You're shuffling. It was like somebody was pulling on my shirt a little bit while I'm walking and I couldn't. It was crazy. So I make it over to the side of the field, like trying to find walls. So scary. And you don't know what's happening. Well, no, I, this is already in my life. I knew exactly what was happening. Okay. And the ref actually came over and said, what happened? And yeah. I said, I've got a brain tumor. It's acting up. I got to find a ride home. And get to the hospital for an exam. Fortunately, a couple of the people on the soccer team I was playing on, I got invited because I had known them for a few years playing ball. So like I, I knew somebody who I felt safe enough that she was going to take me home and her brother who drove a stick was going to follow us and drive my car for me. Mm. So it was a real comfortable situation that way where at least, you know, I didn't have to worry about how, oh my God, how am I going to get there? Who's going to come pick me up? I'm like an hour away from the house, whatever. So, nope. Teammates drove me home, got me back. She came in, explained everything to my parents. Now I've got this brain tumor that's pushing on something. So just the the stability being off made me nauseous. You've seen people after a solid smack on the head, a little bit concussed, where they're not like out of it, but they're not right for a minute either. And they take a minute. So like ex yeah. exacerbated, right? Just like way yeah. worse version of being dazed. If you've ever known anybody who has vertigo, it's very similar to vertigo or things are like, you feel like you're falling even though you're not. And because it's happening with your spinal column and your brain, you're losing control of your body. I get home. Immediately, we get me in, into an MRI and get the MRI over to my neurosurgeon who says, get in here immediately. And within three days, I was having brain surgery. The VHL Alliance, right, was the organization designed, created for fundraising and research and awareness for the VHL community. The Alliance actually has what they call active surveillance guidelines. So 
from conception to a year old, even in that very first few months of life, VHL can already start to manifest tumors in the eyes. It doesn't happen very often, but if you're an adult and you either have already gotten into a situation to have a child and you knew about VHL or you're finding out about it fresh, either way, if you find out that your child has the potential for having VHL, they need to get scanned right away because they may end up very early on. There's the potential to lose eyesight. There's the potential to lose body functions. It's a rare disease with a lot of really random characteristics. So statistics being what they are means that if there's a percentage in favor of something, that means there's also a percentage not in favor of that thing. And so if 95% of VHL patients don't experience A, B, or C, that means there's 5% of VHL patients who did or could, well, what happens to them? So don't take any chances. Right. right? And yeah, yeah. No chances. Yep. This isn't like everybody freak out and, you know, nobody's allowed to live their lives. But if you want to live your life, you absolutely need to go under these certain measures. So my parents actually were for a while there. My parents actually had to kind of battle with some doctors a little bit because there was a lot of different thinking. So some doctors were under the serious consideration for surgery needs to happen right away. Because we don't know what these tumors are going to do, because 80 some percent of people who have these tumors, who are diagnosed with these tumors die, we can't take any chances. And other doctors are like, those people are all dying because we're diagnosing them late. Mm. What about diagnosing people early and watching? Tumors don't necessarily grow that fast. And if you have this disease, you're probably going to need more surgeries. So why start early? Why not wait until we have to? That's not really something you want to hear with a brain tumor. But what if I have five brain tumors and none of them are acting up and they're in different places? Can't get to them easily. You want to cut one out and not cut the other four out? Why? I'm fine. Well, one day you might not be. All right. Well, then one day when I'm not, you can see which one of those tumors is causing the problem and you can get rid of that one. And if while you're in there, you can reach any of the others, you could take those out too. But don't just start cutting because you see something. Right. Start cutting because there's a problem. But there's tumors. That's a problem. No, I have VHL. This is my life. Uh -huh. I'm going to live with tumors. Sometimes they're going to act up. The rest of the time, hands off, please. It's in the literature in the VHL community. This is the most complicated thing for VHL patients and their medical care professionals. So when we got diagnosed, it's not like it's back in the beginning for the illness, but it's back in the beginning of some awareness about the illness. So there's like a timeline that you, and if you look at the timeline, you can write mine and my brother's initials. You can just carve them in in 1990 and everything before then is really, really bad for VHL patients. And everything since then, it's still traumatic and lifelong and multiple surgeries and all this stuff. But like the mortality rate starts dropping because people start getting diagnosed sooner because now people have more knowledge about it. And so it doesn't get diagnosed as cancer or misdiagnosed as some other thing or missed because we were looking here, but we weren't looking over there. And the disease causes tumors in both places. And if you've got one, you should have been looking over here, but you weren't. Well, now people are looking in both places. You know what's fascinating to me? Not to sidetrack too much here, but it's fascinating to me how informed you are about the history of this disease and how it affects people. Because I think there would be temptation for a lot of people to give up altogether. 
just feels so intense. All these things that you're going through. So it starts off back to like the age of the person, right? Because I was old enough to get angry and frustrated and scared enough that sticks with me. And you knew, you knew me through and it's like always a little volatile, always (laughs) a little quick to fight. And it's like, didn't like want to throw punches, but loved the tension of it. Right. Uh Yeah. So you definitely, you got to go through the recovery from trauma without, and it's not like the recover from surgery, but the emotional, psychological stuff, but it happens in different ways at different ages. I got it out very easily as a teenager because for one, I wasn't going through surgeries for a while. Like it was really rough between nine and 12 years old because we had a bunch of surgeries happening. Everything was brand new, lots of studies, internet of the hospital all the time, travel to NIH in Washington because they never even had a family case before. And they're like, oh, we got a dad and two brothers, stick needles in all three of them right now. (laughs) We're going to make your pee go highlighter yellow, kid. Isn't that fun? Stick, 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 stick. It was like Gatorade. (laughs) You know, so there's really there's this period where things weren't cool, but it was very traumatic and it was very whirlwind in the present moment. Kids are scared and kids cry and kids go through whatever they go through. But after that, kids are resilient, man. If they don't actually get hurt, they more or less forget the experience. Nah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Like run up and down the stairs with their friends an hour later. Like, did last time you came down the stairs, he tripped you and you came down the whole flight of stairs. Yeah, but I'm fine. But the difference between this is who I am and this is something that happened to me psychologically and the timing of when you understood what this was, it makes a ton of sense to me that that would be your attitude. Yeah. So you actually brought me right to it, which is good because I might have taken way too long. That's actually the key to my mental stability through all these years. My mother, when we were in our late teens, found a South American shaman which goes right back to our cultural roots anyway, mom and that side of my family being from Guatemala. And I'm 18, 19, and there's already been 10 years of VHL going on anyway and lots of stuff. And now I've been diagnosed with uh, the first brain tumor in the family since dad. And so everybody's going through, sucked right back into all these old emotions. And now I'm older and so is my brother. So new emotions for us, new versions of fears. Now my brother's like, great, when am I gonna get my first brain tumor? It's like all this fun new stuff for everybody to think about. And while that's going on, my mom finds this path back to the jungle and medicine and just holistic living. And that kind of becomes our path for a few years. And I bet that's kind of like where I lost touch with a lot of people is I spent a bunch of years recovering from a surgery, graduated college and in and out of the Amazon for a while with her and studying and like relearning my language and relearning who I was. And while I was in my somewhere in the middle of a two month long trip in the Amazon, I don't know how many ayahuasca ceremonies in a row, but after a few weeks of really serious therapy, It dawned on me to explain to my mother that she didn't have to worry about trying to make my brother and I better or saving us anymore, which is always the purpose of all of her efforts. Save the kids, find some cure, find the right doctor who is going to find the cure, whatever it was, right? Save her children. And the idea is you don't have to worry about that. That's not the issue here. This is who I am. I didn't get sick. You don't have to help me heal. I have to figure out how to be this person. And this is before the kidney cancer. 
that had nothing to do with it at the time. So I was very strictly talking about I was born with this genetic mutation that what it did was it presented me with certain opportunities. And I'm really fortunate to be with the parents that I have and like the rest of me genetically is really well put together. So like physically, I've even been able to deal with the stuff that I've been through to recover. But I mean, we're talking years of learning to be a Reiki practitioner, yoga practitioner, a meditative student, a student of traditional medicines, which is you're talking about medicine from plants from the world, not conventional medicine, which is surgeries and, you know, shots and vaccines and all the things that we've created. Right. So it involves learning about the earth in a different way and about yourself in a different way and your spirituality in a different way. And to like leave this existence, go do a lot of that and come back to this existence is why I'm even doing well with a lot of this. And it's kind of come around full circle for us in a lot of ways. Recently, I'm actually working with my mom. We're translating the handbook for the VHL Alliance right now from English to Spanish for the Spanish speaking international community, which is it's amazing. Yeah, it's like on so many levels, right? Um, my mom started the the VHL Foundation, which later got handed off to other people who who did bigger things with it than she was, and it became the Alliance. And now it's this international organization and raises money and awareness. And there's doctors and medical professionals galore affiliated with it, and it's a place for collection of data for all the VHL patients, so that there's better available information for research and things like, so we get to work with this organization. It's 30 years later, we stepped away from all of that. Like I said, we had this other path in life for a while. And like now I'm back involved with the community and uh, bec and because we're doing that, I'm rewriting this. It's a medical handbook for the lay person, VHL patient. There's all this technical terminology trying to explain it in a way that you can absorb it while you're you know, a 30 something mom or dad whose entire family just got rocked with, you know, all the news and this is many tumors and this is what's going on. And yeah. so, so maybe, maybe once we get through uh, our, we figure ourselves out a little bit here with what kind of episodes Very yeah. Heroic Living is going to have, you know, episode three will be VHL for dummies with, <laughs> with Joseph and Aaron. I'll break out the handbook. We'll, okay. we'll teach you some new yeah. words. We'll make you try to uh, pronounce some things that you're not going to be I able to it. pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we could have some fun with that, definitely. That and that, you know what? That might we could have a little educational time for everybody. It's like learn about some of the words that you keep hearing. I mean, the idea, right? I get the VHL community to start listening to some of what we talk about. And, you know, maybe I, maybe I can help educate some of my own crew. Hey, I listen, man. You were a little bit hesitant about doing this, but what you just did is, you know, you just teased episode three already. You're a real pro. I'm a, I'm a teaser. a real vision. You even teasing. Yeah. Maybe in episode two, if I may be so bold, we talk about where your lifestyle is now. I'd love to. I think that's a perfect segue from what's happening right now. And there's this clinical med that's available and things are in transition. And that's my lifestyle is kind of, I'm finally think settling into my most recent transition. So yeah, looking forward to episode two, lifestyle changes with VHL. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, man. Thank you. 